And what is up, guys? Welcome to Going Nowhere Fast. So uh, before we get started, I have a quick listener shout-out to uh, Kay Lucille. Thank you for leaving a very nice comment on the uh, old uh, iTunes app. Appreciate it. Uh, so before we get started and I introduce our guest today, I'd like to uh, plug one of the um, foundations he's working with. It's uh, called the Terry Claybon Foundation Holiday Toy Drive. Uh, it is run through Pound for Pound Boxing Club. And it's basically just a toy, toy drive for underprivileged kids. So uh, definitely look that up and please donate. It's uh, Terry Claybon Foundation Holiday Toy Drive. And it's through Pound for Pound Boxing Gym. Uh, be awesome if you guys help for the holidays. Uh, so without that being said... Today, our guest is a very interesting guy. We actually met him at the Hollywood Boxing Gym where Pat and I go to. He's been boxing forever. He's a boxing coach. He was an amateur boxer. He uh, was a professional sparring partner and just a really all-around great guy. And, of course, as you guessed it, he does comedy. You can see him at the Sycamore Tavern uh, at Flappers, and uh, he's just a really great and interesting guy. Ladies and gentlemen, Dion Williams. All right, and we are live. What's up, Dion? Hey, uh, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, of course, dude. So you're talking about this, uh, the toy drive you're doing. Yeah, um, one of them, well, there are three different toy drives. Uh, one of them we've been doing for 12 years. The one that I've personally been doing on my own, which isn't really a toy drive. It's a donation of food, clothing, or whatever. Four years, and then the Boys and Girls Club, they've been around forever. Yeah, very so, nice. So just trying to, you know, give back. And um, I got the benefit of some of those things growing up in the hood mm -hmm. through Boys and Girls Club, through the YMCA, whatever, whatever. So I know it helps. Where'd you grow up? Uh, Watts, California. Okay, yeah. No gated community in the hood. So um, so as a child, like when you received that kind of relief, um, it really, really hit home. It, it felt nice. Yeah, because... You know, you, you, I think you're told, or at least you see or you hear, that people potentially can look at you differently in a negative manner. So you don't really assume that there's anyone out there that's going to be on your side yeah. to facilitate, you know, um, helping you along, helping you along or giving you some kind of, um, appreciation for just being a human being and sharing kindness and humanity. So when you get it, you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? I didn't even do anything. So then you start to realize there are people out there with good hearts, regardless of social status, regardless of religion, regardless of race. And so you, you know, it affects you in a way that like you try to have an objective mind across the board. Yeah. It's like so far out of what seems like out of the realm of possibility that Someone would just do something for you for no reason, yeah, and you absolutely. don't even know them. Absolutely, and it's good because, like, not only are, are you, you know, waking up on a holiday and getting a gift like every other child, right. but you also have the factor of, all right, so I'm not in this bubble where I'm invisible. Right. There's people who actually care about me and recognize right. I'm growing up kind of in an impoverished area, yeah. and they're giving back. Yeah, uh, I, a little I, faith in humanity. Yeah, yeah. That, I, that's yeah. awesome, dude. Yeah, good yeah. for you. I, actually, you know, ask this. Give Pat some information and I some information and we'll definitely make a donation. Hell yeah. Absolutely. Ooh, that's awesome, dude. And you said you did it with um, 
uh, through one of the uh, the boxing uh, gyms yes. you go to? So uh, Terry Claiborne, um, he was so the quick history of the Hollywood boxing gym. Yeah, you guys are members there of as course, well. Yeah. You work out there. Um, there was a point in that gym where it was probably the most celebrated or celebrity latent gym. I won't just say in California, but in the world. Really? Yeah. And so on any given day, you could walk in, and this is no joke. And for anybody that- When was this? Like in the 90s? All the way up to 2008. Okay. 2009. um, Denzel, Matt Damon, the Wayans Brothers, Cedric the Entertainer, Tyra Banks, uh, Joe Rogan. I mean, we could go down the list of people that were in that gym working out. Um, Of course- you couldn't tell that now. Uh, it's a pretty common and plain gym, and not that it wasn't then as far as the aesthetics, but Terry Claiborne, who I started out as an assistant for, and I boxed at the same boxing gym as a kid when I was growing up, um, he was in charge of the boxing program. I was his assistant. We promoted fights. We just had celebrities that were there for training, uh, the gym itself was still pretty new going into the early 2000s. It opened in 95. I started working there in about 2003. Okay. So, um, and so the regular clientele was a the who's who A-list of Hollywood, That's seriously. Crazy. And what do you think kind of like fizzled it out? I mean, like we, we see a bunch of people there. You know, we see like uh, Johnny Knoxville. We saw Dice the other day. Right, right. Um uh, we saw a popular male porn star a couple yes. days ago. Oh, <laughs> Johnny Sins. Johnny, Johnny Sins worked out. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, Jesus man. Christ. Uh-huh. Man. But Still like, pumping it's it up. Yeah. It's yeah. good thing we don't let him on the mat. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Have to mop that thing twice. Yeah, that's a tap out for sure. But uh, like, what do you think kind of like fizzled it out? Because I mean, you mentioned mm. it's plain, and I think we, we think it's plain in the best way. Because when we first moved here, I like plain. We went to LA Fitness, right. and it was just a fucking circus, dude. Yeah. You know, yeah. you couldn't use yeah. anything. And then Pat's like, dude, I'm telling you, it's a little extra, but go to Hollywood Boxing Gym yeah. with me and, and try it out. I went there, dude. We went during like the rush hour, which right. is like you know the five to six thirty time slot. Right. Not a soul there, basically. Right. And if you, and if there are people there. They re-rack the weights. Right, right. It's like the bare bones, like necessity. Right. And then the, the boxing uh, level, which is the third level. Right. I mean, you have speed bag, double end, right. a whole ring, mats right. to roll. There's like eight or nine different heavy bags. It, it's the fucking, it's everything. Yeah, no. Um, The gym itself and in, in its, in its layout, very viable, very, you know, concise and workable. Uh, the um, We try to keep the spirit up there, which... Yeah. But mm, without putting negative stuff in the air about anyone in particular, um, the powers that be don't always facilitate the um, right attitude, the right approach, or even, you know, the input of finance and some other things in the proper way to, to keep at least in that place to where if you are going to have those type of people like attend your your gym, which again, because like you said, which is important, it is bare bones in a good way. And that's one reason why those people came. But it has to be maintained in yeah. a certain way that it still has that home feel, but it keeps up with the time. Yeah, it can't become like grimy and out exactly. of date. 
Exactly. And, and so, you mentioned that that home feel, and it really does have that home feel. Yeah. Because you see the same kind of usual suspects. Right. You know, I, I've never, honestly, I've never been to a gym before um, where I can say like, hey, Dion, or hey, Joe, right. or, you know, right. I, I've never really, really known the names of people I work out with. Right. And it makes it like a nice, like homey, like, uh, you know, quality, homey yeah, environment. Like a community. Yeah, it really yeah, is. Very much. And, and a lot of people, which they do live in the area uh, for a while, or even if they're new to the area. It's seemingly people know people from other places, whether it's from other places in California or just other places across the country. Like, I was shocked. There were like 10 people at one point that were working out in the gym that were from Cleveland. And I was like, other than the Cavaliers, I think there were 10 people in, in California. Cleveland, yeah. yeah, or in Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, and they all knew each other through someone else, even if they didn't personally had not met before the Hollywood gym. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is that home thing, that community thing. But uh, there was a little business issue because there's been a lot of filming in that gym. Uh, up to date, if I remember correctly, there's something like over 350 film and or TV and or commercial and or PSA uh video, anything having to do with entertainment shot in that particular gym. Well, I have seen you in one pretty wild video in that gym. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who Charlie Zelenoff is, he's this guy. He's got to have some kind of like mental, mental problem. He's on the yeah. spectrum for sure. Um, where he thinks he's like this big, tough boxing champion, <laughs> but he doesn't really know what he's doing. Well, and, he, thing and he calls out these very legit guys mm. so like consistently and viciously that they eventually answer him. And was it Deontay Wilder? It was, yeah. Deontay Wilder. <laughs> Beat the shit out of him at Hollywood Boxing he, Gym. He did. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a pre-Tyson Fury moment, but the same impact. What, was uh, that like two years ago? No, actually, that was 2000, I'm going to say 15. Okay. It's like three years ago. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it went viral. The video itself was not supposed to be made. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the context of what was going on that night, um, I've known Deontay for a while, and uh, he would come to the gym occasionally, slide in, sneak in, get a workout, mm -hmm. and get out. Uh, prior to uh, this whole incident, Charlie, like you had said, had been notoriously like, you know, chasing MMA fighters, world-class boxers, anybody in the fight game and challenging them to fights. Uh, there are boxing promoters that I know that actually hired Charlie to be um, a whipping boy for particular fighters to pad their record. Um, huh. So Charlie was actually banned from the gym before this particular um, event happened. For and being like that? Yeah, he wasn't supposed to be in the gym. Well, the other thing that I know he does is, like, he'll ask normal people to, like, spar yeah. and then go all out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, which is, like, which, totally inappropriate. Which is probably his best bet because I've actually seen him when he's in action. Um, skill set, you know, I mean, zero would be giving him a compliment. <laughs> uh, he, um, he's been knocked out, like I said, several times in actual events. He's sucker punched several people. Yeah. Regular people. Um, he sucker punched Floyd Mayweather Sr. That yeah. video was out That's there. That's right. Well. Seen Dude, that. He almost got he, he, get he the, got stomped. They cut the video off 
but I, I know some people that said that he was stomped and thrown into the streets of Vegas. Yeah, he, there's a video. He's at uh, Floyd Mayweather's uh, gym, yeah. and I think he was like sparring Floyd Mayweather Sr. or something, he, and then yeah. he turned his back, and then Charlie rushed him and as him from Sr.'s back was to him. And then just like 15, 20 dudes just came out in the ring yeah. and just and stomped he's lucky the shit he's alive because he really honestly, is. You know, when the video went off, I thought, oh man, um, Charlie's probably roadkill. Yeah. But uh, somehow he's got nine lives, or, you know, somebody's looking out for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that incident with Deontay Wilder, he was threatening Deontay Wilder's daughter who yeah. has spinal bifida. And that had been like over a two plus year period of him trolling, you know, Deontay on on social media and saying he was going to do this to his daughter and do that. And then finally, you know, I mean, how many things can you say about a man's daughter before he beats the fuck out of you? Right. And so that whole I mean, not to to justify because it really could have. He, he took some mercy on him. He did. Oh, for sure. But Absolutely. It could, but it could also derailed his career because that... Beating like, up again, a normal guy like that. Right. In that video, there was not supposed to be a video. There are surveillance cameras in the gym. But that video that was released to TMZ wasn't from a surveillance camera. That was from a cell phone. See if someone took that. Yeah, and I know the person. And if you're listening, you know that's still messed up to this day. Uh, he was finishing a training session with me. We went upstairs, all this was going on. As we're actually trying to negotiate, like calming this thing down, he's videotaping. And so when it's all over, he promptly goes downstairs to his car, calls TMZ, sends him the video. It's paid for. Of course it does. I find out like a month later. But the thing went viral by next morning. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Well, it's crazy with this kid, Charlie, how like studying the martial arts has had, like it seems like, the opposite effect on him. Because with yeah. me personally, huh. I, I've been doing, like, you know, I, I say loosely, boxing mm-hmm. for a year. Because I really mm-hmm. just go in there. I've had a couple of session, training mm-hmm. sessions, but I kind of just do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And just doing that for a year, I've realized, like, the respect that everyone should have for people mm-hmm. who study these martial arts. Because mm-hmm. you really don't know how little you know until right. you try to learn a little bit. Right. Right. And, you know, you should respect everybody because that's just one, just the right thing to do. True. But you all should respect everybody because you don't know what they're capable of. Absolutely. I mean, you see some of these fighters that if you didn't really know what a cauliflower ear was <laughs> or what a broken nose would look like, Henry Cejudo wouldn't look that tough <laughs> yeah, right. to you in person. True. But you talk to the guy the wrong way, he'll fucking kill you. True. You know? It's true. And with this guy, Charlie, it's been the opposite effect. Or maybe he's just not capable of learning anything. And he just has a death wish. He's got some kind of issues, man. He he does um, what little pertinent family history I do know about him. I've had a couple of conversations with his dad, who's an enab- who enables him in a lot of ways. Um, oh, really? Like tells him that he knows what he's doing? Well, not only that, he pays for particular situations for Charlie to actually be engaged. Oh, it's like show in- up and stuff. For him to travel to fight, pays for gear, because a lot of these situations to be in in Floyd Mayweather's gym and to be that close to his dad, there's some kind of like um, a favor. Yeah, you don't just walk in off the street in right. Floyd Mayweather's gym. Yeah. Same thing to get to Deontay, to get to some of the other people that he's called out. You know, uh, Chuck Liddell and all these different people. <laughs> yeah. To be able to get a hold of their information to there's someone 
that has, you know, insight and has an insight to get to people that can get him the information to get to them. And I met his dad and his dad, there was another situation, unfortunately, wasn't videotaped at the Hollywood gym where they actually had a fight planned with a guy who was a real boxer that had been hired by another promoter and another um, manager uh, who knocked Charlie out in a real fight. Charlie wanted revenge. Charlie paid for the guy, or his father paid for the guy to come out, and they were going to have the match at the Hollywood gym on a Saturday. We weren't told. We didn't know. So as I'm leaving, about 75 people come walking through the door and say, hey, does the fight start in an hour? And I'm like, what fight? And they're like, Charlie. Charlie's like, he's having the revenge match. And we're like, Charlie's not even allowed in the gym. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, no, no. Look, here, we got tickets. <laughs> Jesus I'm Christ. Like, what? So Charlie walks up with his dad. And, and to make a long story short, it was like, yo, you can't have a fight here. He's not even allowed in the gym. His dad was like, what's your name? And I go, Dion. He goes, Dion. He said, you seem like a reasonable guy. He goes, let's have a conversation. He said, can we come out? And I go, there's nothing to really talk about. I said, you got to get these people and you have to leave. He goes, what would it, everybody has a price. What would it cost for you to allow this to, to, to happen? And I go, well, first of all, you couldn't pay my price. I go, now, secondly, the gym's price starts with the insurance. Yeah. Yeah. I go, just for the day, okay? He goes, how would 15000 do? And I go, like I said, you couldn't cover just what it takes <laughs> yeah. for the day just on that level. Yeah. Let alone all the inconvenience and the setup, uh, those two guys having their own insurance that we'd have to facilitate and have checked out before everything goes down. These people that pay money to you. And the facilities to seat 75 you. people in that gym? Actually, we've done smokers there, but we've had up to 200. Really? There's yeah, a way you, you to gotta, do it. But it has to be done. Those, you got to take the mats right, out. Right, they yeah. can't just show up right. it has and to have be it done. happen. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it was a lot of things. And I was like, so saving money is just not going to happen. He goes, well, he goes, you know, I think it would be a great thing for the Hollywood gym. I go, I think he's done enough great things. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we'll just stop him while he's ahead. Yeah. And we'll ride that wave of all the great stuff he's done before. And you guys can just get the fuck out. Yeah. So they promptly go in the parking lot with all these people and start a melee in the parking lot. Somebody called the cops and there's helicopters and cop cars pulling up. So they finally cleared the parking lot and they went somewhere else and did the fight that same day. And Charlie Sucker punched the guy while they're in the dressing room and the guy's tying his shoes. Jesus what? Christ. Yeah. What a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. This kid's sick in the head. What is wrong with this guy? <laughs> Christ. Yeah. So... Well, uh, then in the Deontay Wilder video, you were the only one being like kind of reasonable, trying to talk to Charlie, be like, Charlie, yeah, stay down. Yeah, all of like, like I don't think get up. Deontay's buddies were just like, yo, oh, beat yeah. him up, beat him, fuck him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, like, everybody was stay hype. The fuck everybody down. Down. Which honestly, if it was my buddy and some jerk off was talking shit about my buddy's daughter, I'd be like, dude, kick his ass. No, I, I got it. And, and so after I got to talk to Deontay outside of that, and you know, the conversation was basically, I get it. I'm not going to even tell you you're wrong, but, and he's like. Put me in a hell of a spot. Yeah. And even more importantly, you put yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that still is not knowing that there's a video. So this conversation in the hallway, in my mind, is like, okay, everything's done. Yeah. Thought it was that over. happened. We're good. Nobody really got hurt. Don't do it again. Um, and he actually even had 
more heinous plans for 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 Charlie Z, which is a whole nother story. Uh, but we were like, okay, cool. He's like, my bad, won't happen again. By mm, three o'clock in the morning, my phone's blowing up, and people are like, oh my god, like, you know, what happened? Tell me, you know, and we're gonna come over to the gym tomorrow. And I'm like, what, what, what? Somebody is like called me and like, hey TMZ man, they're like running this thing that happened at the gym, and I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me! And I wake up, I turn on TMZ. It was probably like five something in the morning, and there it is. And I was like, oh man! And I I didn't know who. Yeah, I couldn't even begin. Yeah. And then a month later, Figured my it client. Out. Well, my client told me we're oh, working okay. out, and. He goes, man, he goes, you know, I feel bad. I go, about what? And he's like, I did something I shouldn't have done. I go, oh, well, tell your wife, man, you're, you're sorry. He goes, nah. <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do with her. And I was like, okay. He goes, uh, you know, the Deontay Wilder, da, 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 da. And I go, yeah. He goes, I shot the video from my phone. And, he goes, and I sold it to TMZ. I said, and I didn't get a cut, which I was joking. <laughs> but I'm looking yeah. at him like. Really did that just for money? He's like, yeah, and I feel like a schmo. I go, so why you send the money back? He goes, well, uh, my boss, I mean, I did this and da 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 da, da and it was like, so, uh, but he could have really gotten in trouble. He yeah, He could have been sure. banned for a year or worse. Yeah. So when did you, when did you get into fighting? Because you've been boxing for your whole life almost, right? Yeah. Uh, so growing up in the hood, you know, you you either ran fast. You punched hard, or you talk smooth, mm-hmm. and you and so I tried to do all three because I figure like sometimes you know you get tired of running, uh, sometimes you know you don't feel like fighting, especially if you're dressed up. <laughs> yeah. So I figure like and the words like you probably like stretch it out a little bit, mm-hmm. but just in case none of that is working on a particular person, you try all three and see what you come up with. Um, my uncles were men who grew up in the South, in the United States during the time when, you know, yeah, uh, and it was pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, segregation still. Yeah, segregation. Uh, Jim Crow was alive and well. Um, and they were probably down there in the midst of the battle to end segregation, which was, you know. In the midst of that battle, not so far. For the a United States, a lot of violence fought for the United States and in, 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 in a couple of wars. The I had uncles that were in the World War II. I had uncles that were in the Korean War and, of course, the Vietnam War. And so, you know, you serve your country. And those guys are very prideful that they did that. Um, that being said, um, the neighborhood was rough and you had people who had served, maybe disabled, you know, working like everybody else, no matter where they are, trying to take care of the families, trying to put food on the table. Um, and then there was a lot of us, which I think the misnomer about people who grow up maybe in areas that are, and I won't call it complete poverty, but, you know, you don't have all the amenities that yeah. other people have. And it's not because your parents aren't trying or you're not trying to to also chip in and help. It just works out. It's that, stacked against you. Right. So in order for us to like find ways to keep the mind sharp and still edify yourself, you know, sports was definitely like 
something that if you were able to, you not only encouraged to do, you kind of felt like it was a duty to help yourself, like try to grow into the physical aspect of being a man, get stronger, mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. faster, whatever, whatever. Um, and the other choice was then, if you didn't do that, it was join a gang. And um, that wasn't really an option because one, you know, I hate the limited fashion statement of red and blue. (laughs) (laughs) The other part of that too is like, I mean, I don't care how tough you are. If you're sober, nobody wants to get shot. Yeah. I don't care what you say. Nobody wants to get shot. Nobody wants to get beat down. It's just not something that you wake up in the morning like, yeah, I'm looking for that challenge. I'm looking for that knockout. I'm looking to get busted on. It's not. It's not happening. Yeah, no one comes out of gang life on the other end. No, better off than they went in. No, and, and <laughs> that's true. And we've had examples of that where I grew up. You know, the, the riots in the 1960s, which weren't gang related, but it was definitely a confrontation between the ideals of people feeling like they were being oppressed by, you know, the police and the powers that be, and you just got tired of it. But what it left was a desolated area from fire, from rioting. And so I walked through burned out buildings in South Central LA on the way to school. I walked through, you know, remnants of that riot that weren't touched for 30 years. They didn't care. Yeah. Yeah, It's not like Malibu where those fires happen and then houses are getting built the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And Watts, I'm sure. Yeah. And so that, that energy still lingered. It was still lingering. It was still fresh because we were kids and then we would see it on TV in news documentaries and people would talk about it or the anniversary of this and you realize you're walking down the streets and through buildings on the way to school that basically were like, again, letting you know that the world doesn't really look at you in a positive way. So again, going back to, like I said, getting anything given to you for no reason was really like, whoa, okay, this is like a 180. Yeah. And 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 you have to start being accountable for being a real person and being objective about either I'm gonna go down this other road and just not give a damn and end up in some kind of demise, or I need to understand like it may be hard work and it may be challenging, but I need to try to be as positive as those people that have reached out to me. So um and that's where boxing comes in. Yeah. And to keep us off the street, you know, because the some of the summer programs were starting to be taken away. You know, uh, there used to be a lot of community centers and a lot of things where you can go and learn writing and music and dance and painting and, you know, uh, screenwriting and, you know, accounting. And so those things started to be taken away. Affirmative action started to be taken away. And so my uncles were always like, look, you know, and they had come back to be successful men with families and took care of their families. And they were like, we can't allow this generation of kids in our family, young men, to fall into this negative that's like been like forced mm-hmm. on an area in a mindset. So when we finished one sport, we were ushered into another one. We were ushered into some kind of study program. We were ushered into something that just kept us with an outlook of trying to be progressive and grow as young men and then eventually hopefully viable people. So the boxing gym 
was a good alternative again because it was like you got to take up you got to be able to stand up for yourself mm -hmm. so there were several gyms around broadway boxing gym was the first one there was the figueroa boxing gym there were several others which now the boxing gyms are starting to come back but there was a point where la was a a major fixture and still is in the boxing game and uh so the first day in the gym once I got in there, it was like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. It wasn't even about the fighting part. It was the, it was the integrity of people like coming in with a mindset of like, I'm gonna take a challenge. The biggest challenge that I could see at that time was willingly coming in and trying to grow into something that you didn't even know what it was about or where it would lead to. And you had people that were there giving you their all who have participated in this thing, and you start finding out the history of not only boxing, start finding out the history of our community, you start finding out the history of America, you start finding out the history of the world, you start getting all these things that led to basically how the world interacts with each other and the idea of humanity and community and what symbolizes what people stand for and how they like overcome things and this was just a symbol of that so boxing has always been something good in my life now you were you ever professional or always amateur i was amateur and then i did some professional sparring i was again like <laughs> like now i'm always doing a lot of things mm -hmm. so i was boxing playing football running track played baseball for a couple of years so i got hit in the head with a baseball bat Not uh, yeah they'll kill it for you <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it was, uh, which was basically my fault. You know, um, emulating a baseball was never a good idea on a baseball time, <laughs> but that's a, that's a whole other thing. But um, yeah, boxing was a staple for clarity. Boxing can give you a lot of clarity. And people think, oh, yeah, it's the punching. No, it's the process. It's the, it requires you to be present, not yeah. thinking about tomorrow, not thinking about yesterday. It's like right here, right now. And I started to realize that that requirement of being present was something that started to carry over in other aspects of my life, which made me a little bit sharper in school, which made me a little bit better with people, which made me like pay attention to my surroundings and situations and get a little bit quicker and clearer about how to approach things and how to deal with situations. So it caught, it taught me critical thinking, but problem solving without throwing punches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also, also knowing that you had that skill was I'm sure a, oh, yeah. a confidence booster as well though. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you tend to want to engage less in confrontation. The more you, know how to handle it yeah yeah i would agree because you realize there's repercussions no matter if you win yeah you see every possibility like all right even if i like best case scenario i hit this guy right in the temple knock right. him out i might just break my hand right yeah yeah and and even on your best day the greatest fighters in history have been hit yeah yeah so whether it's like you say a, an emotional hit a physical hit a spiritual hit you know, when people engage in that negative, there's always something that lingers after. And it made you get to a point to where it's like, okay, that's the last thing I need to do. I need to try to like resolve things in a manner with people 
where I put my best foot forward. Even if we don't agree, but there's a way to disagree without it becoming like, of course, yeah, yeah. A, a combatant situation. And one of the other things I feel like with boxing and like any martial arts is the things that makes it like so valuable that everyone participates in it is it's like a proving ground. You're yeah. proving something to yourself. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you don't get a whole lot out of, you know, like I used to wrestle in high school. Oh, nice. I wasn't going to feel really good about myself if mm-hmm. I went out and pinned a third grader. Like, <laughs> like that doesn't prove anything to me. I didn't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> a win is a win, man. Yeah, right. I mean, you are the same height, so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, back what you said about you have to like be in the moment when you're when you're boxing. You know, try jumping rope thinking about tomorrow. You're going you're going to hit oh, your feet every time. Yeah. Or hitting the heavy bag and, you know, not concentrating on like, you know, what punch you're going to throw or or you know where your how your feet are positioned, or hit, hitting the double end bag and think about something else. You get hit right back in the head with a double end, right. you know. And it's a good way to one, yeah, like, like you said, focus on one particular task at a time. Because right. I I have ADD like a motherfucker. I have the attention right. span of a squirrel, <laughs> you know. So practicing is like focus on one thing at a time, and then also while you're doing that, obviously you're exerting a lot of force. It's right. a great exercise. Right. I also have a, a bad temper as well. Right. So when right. I when I when I leave the gym, oh yeah, it's bad. When I when I leave the gym, I like am at like I feel like very you know zen and, okay. and at peace. Okay. You know, like okay. I've gotten all my frustration, and it's really really right. beneficial for my for my mindset. Well, also too the the, the moment, and, and that's first and foremost because your what you're getting from it is an ongoing like education in in process with boxing. I think with any fighting style, yeah. any martial arts yeah. style, you you get that ongoing process of education. But also, too, like being in the moment, like at our gym, I would say most dojos or fight gyms, you there's some unusual stuff going on. Yeah, for sure. So at our gym, there's always unusual stuff going on in the <laughs> boxing gym. And some of it's so priceless. Like if you're not here today, man, you <laughs> I don't care what movie you watch. I don't care what music you listen to. You will never find anything more precious and absurd as some of the things that go on and it doesn't hurt anybody but it's absolutely ludicrous and so having those memories and walking (laughs) in that place just knowing like wow some of the craziest things have happened here yeah yeah and so you you're looking forward to being in the moment you're present there because you don't know what's going to happen and and so it's it's a good thing It, it makes you appreciate life in a whole lot of ways there was a, a time, I think you were there for this, Pat was there, um, one of those ludicrous moments happened. <laughs> so we were up like on the third floor, we were hitting the bag, doing the rounds and everything. And there's just one guy who hasn't, I haven't seen in a while, actually. He's like a Muay Thai or a kickboxer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, pretty like, you know, good technique, like right. pretty strong kid. Right. But he uh, was doing this thing where he was hitting the heavy bag. And he kept like talking to the bag, like, "Yeah, you like that, you fucking piece of shit, like, oh, like yeah. that." And then he would he would wave his his left arm up and be like, "See that? You see that?" And then he'd come with a straight right and like, "Yeah, and see that coming? Did you fucking piece of shit?" I'm like, "It's a bag." And me and Pat and psyched the shit out of that yeah. bag. And I'm just like, "This guy is trying to one up this fucking bag." And oh god, it, it was just so funny. I'm pretty sure you were there. For I that. was there for yeah. that guy. Um, I might have seen him on a different day, actually. Yeah. But I know exactly who you're talking about. That's so funny because there was a young lady that was there not too long ago. Very petite, attractive young woman. uh, Was there with her trainer. And her trainer went to the bathroom. He goes, go ahead and do this combination. Do this and do this. 
So she's hitting him back. She's like, Ugh. she goes, you piece of shit. I can't stand you. This is the last time you're going to cheat on me. And she was, <laughs> I was like, whoa. And she's hitting the bag and she starts kicking the bag. She goes, yeah. She goes, yeah. And she's a bitch. And she hit the bag. She goes, you don't deserve me. And she hit the bag. And the bell rang. And then about 30 seconds later, her trainer came back in. He goes, did you hit the bag? She goes, yeah. She goes, I'm going to break up with him now. <laughs> and I was like, I asked the guy after I go, what was, oh, go, yeah, her, her guy's been cheating. I go, oh, I go, wow, that's kind of poignant. I said, she, <laughs> yeah, it helped her like resolve. How was her technique? Oh, technique was great. I mean, <laughs> if I was her boyfriend, I would have been really worried yeah. about what was going to happen. And then, so where did, where does the stand-up come in? When Ooh. did you start doing that? So stand-up, <laughs> I probably started in middle school. Really? Which, really? Which pissed my mom off. Why? Because, uh, okay, so middle school, ninth grade, <laughs> I was going to all boys private Catholic school, which I got a scholarship to play football and run track there. It's called Verbum Day High School. I've heard of Verbum Day. So all boys school. Funny enough, um, actually, I'm pretty sure the, uh, oh, no. the guy who used St. to coach Patrick. the Pats. Yeah. Yes. There yeah. you go. Verbum Day, great school. Uh, some great uh, athletes have come from there. Some great people have come from there. Uh, at one point, they were the number one high school, middle school, high school, because it goes from 9 to 12, uh, in America for about a 10-year period. Uh, best basketball, middle yeah. school, high school program in America. Uh, football is pretty good. Track was pretty good. So... Uh, class clown started ninth grade. Uh, mom wasn't fond of that because she's like, "You're, you got opportunity to go to a really great school and to learn." And you being, you know, class clown in the yearbook was not <laughs> happening. And so there were some fights between me and her. Actually, she just whipped my ass. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, yep. it wasn't really a fight. Uh, I started to say something. And the right hand I took, I got that from mom. And it was tried and true. She tested it on there me. So it works. Um, <laughs> but. Is that the ring hand? That was the ring hand. Oh, baby. Yeah. yeah. That's, my, that's how my mom that's used it. to get me, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's clean, too. I don't know yeah. how mom's like. Flawless technique. Yeah. No, moms are like amazing with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it must be something in having like kids that like. Just gives you the athleticism that's that, like, that, 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 that hidden, fast twitch muscle. Yeah, that he, that <laughs> hidden athleticism. Yeah. Um, but my dad, who separated, my mom and dad separated like when I was like six. And then we she and him, we had the weird relationship where they proceeded to have I had two more brothers with my dad and my mom before they officially broke up for good. Mm -hmm. But because my dad was a musician and he taught music, um, we were always, you know, introduced to the concept of art being a part of your life. And then from the music, it you tend to just start to be interested in other aspects of art and see how they intertwine, you know. And my fascination, again, through one of the boys or the uh, some of the summer programs that came in the neighborhood where we would go and watch these old silent films. And Buster Keaton 
And, you know, Charles Chaplin and the Marx Brothers and, you know, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, mm -hmm. um, you know, you start seeing these images and you're like, like, what the hell is that? But it locked you in and I was so engaged with it. And, you know, of course, my mom wasn't too cool when one Halloween I wanted to do the Al Jolson thing. She was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, took me to church, got exercise. But <laughs> that was the power of Christ. Yeah, the power of Christ. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you got enough blackface, son. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but I, I was so enthralled with man. These dudes are doing. It was silent, but it was speaking. It yeah, was talking to me. It was like. Oh, this is some amazing stuff. The concept of a person or people, a person's like taking a situation that's so simple and putting it on such an intellectual level with this physicality. And it was like, and it was rhythmic. It was like dance and it was like music. And it was like, what is this? So I'm like suddenly like going to libraries and I'm like, looking at film and I'm reading about people and one thing starts to lead to a, another. And so while taking music through my dad uh, and boxing, one of our coaches said, you should take tap dance. Help and with the feet. Help with the feet. Mm -hmm. So started taking tap dance. And so the, the tap dance teachers are like, well, who's your favorite tap dancer? At that point, I'm like, and so it gave me a list. So I started watching all these guys, the Nicholas brothers, Gene Kelly. Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, um, you know, and Billable Jangles Robinson, and you, Sammy Davis Jr. Oh man, that dude, Sammy Davis, yeah, Sammy Davis, talent stud off the chain, yeah. So I'm looking at these dudes, and these dudes are tapping and they're singing. Then start telling jokes. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Now what's this part? And so it took it from Buster Keaton and those guys basically doing what I call a silent stand-up bit and sketch and acting. And so to now they're entertaining. And in between the dancing and the singing, these guys are zinging with one-liners, boom, yeah. boom. And I'm like, oh, this format, stand-up comedy. And then I go back to the library. Now I'm reading about Alan King and Sid Caesar. I'm reading about, you know, um, um, one of my favorites, Dick Gregory, um, Bill Cosby, um, Lenny Bruce, mm. um, you know, and now I'm just getting inundated with all this history of, of stand-up. And then I go back and start studying this thing, motion picture and television history. So you start seeing these shows where, you know, Lucy, there's Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz changing the whole scope of TV. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm like... The honeymooners. Yeah, I mean, the honeymooners. And then Jack Carson comes on the scene, late night TV. And then you have Dick Cavett and all these guys and they're having, like, Richard Pryor on and Flip Wilson, you know, and they're having... Don Rickles. Don I Rickles, mean, just, just like... Just like just legends. And, and then you go back and see Jerry Lewis... Dean Martin, and they're actually doing a two-man shtick. So now I'm getting into the Smothers Brothers, and, the, and it just got me to a point to where I was like, 
you can have a voice with this and not have to placate anybody but the truth. Yeah. yeah. You get even to make your own tr- art. Yeah. Even if it's your own truth. And so it 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 resonated with me in wanting to have a different voice again coming from a neighborhood in a place to where you were always told you may not be listened to. Yeah. People may not pay attention to you. So I thought, okay, how in the most sublime way can I like filtrate in the people's psyche in a positive way and communicate with them and get my thoughts across across without being selfish, still engage, but have this moment of clarity that you share that makes it like, oh, bang. between. How do I make you want to listen to me? Yeah. And then share. You come back and share with me what your feeling is, which laughter is an emotion. And so you emote that. Yeah. And so and it's in the involuntary too. Involuntary. We always say like you it's know, truthful. It's it's yeah. And so I was digging that. I was into it. So that's why by the time I'm in the ninth, tenth grade, you know, I'm in class doing in all boys school, you could do it. Animal house, you go you see that and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do an animal house thing. So <laughs> passing notes at twelve o'clock, everybody drop your history book. <laughs> we do that. Of course, the teacher's like, who passed the note? Everybody just looks in the back room. Dion, <laughs> I'm after school doing standards for God, like three weeks in a row. Mom was not feeling it. <laughs> so, but it it I wanted to grow into. I didn't know if I wanted to do it as a career, but I knew that um my person on a daily basis had to have that kind of resonance with how I communicated with people. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately going to college and having a fight with my mom, I went to uh, Southern Illinois University and I had a fight with my mom because she wanted me to go into law. And I was like, okay, I'll split the difference with you. My major will be phys ed, my minor will be theater. And she was like, how is that splitting the <laughs> difference? <laughs> she was like, who gave you that bullshit? <laughs> I was like, um, you know what dad would say? She goes, well, that's why you ain't in the house no more and you're going to get kicked out too. <laughs> so it was, um, it, it, it helped me like decide some things. Once school was over and I kind of did my duty and I promised her I would do that. Then it was like, went and studied some theater, went to AFI, for a year, interned at cable station, start learning how to edit and direct, went and did some stage writing, went and just started studying improv, Acme, IO, LA Theater Connection, um, just soaking it in. And then um, had two mentors in the stand up in the process of writing, uh, Mark Lanau, who used to own the improv, and Miss Sandy Shore, who recently passed oh, away. Yeah. God bless you, Sandy. And uh, she was so invaluable to me as a person. I took a I took a workshop with Sandy. Yeah, she was she was really great. Yeah, she was so I mean, invaluable. Sandy passed away too. Yeah, as well. Yeah, Sandy yeah. as well. Yeah, Sandy she, was Mitzi's daughter. Correct. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Paulie's sister, older sister. Yeah. Sweetheart. Yeah. Really sweet. Just really really nice. And th- like the thing I loved about her is like she was just like so fucking like to the point. Yeah, she was you know? genius with it. She knew the ins and outs of comedy. I still have those workbooks. That so do I. Me. I have one in my room. And there, you go back and reference them. They're still like solid. 
it's it's like you know I I really don't think you can teach stand up. You can you can definitely teach like the, the thought, thought process yeah, yeah. behind it. And if you look at one of those like workbooks, it, it'll add like our first like exercise, if you will. Like basically every week was an open mic. Yeah. And then basically, the, yeah. And, and then and then the class would give you like feedback and stuff on your set. Right. And one of the things, the, our first thing was you know, like write about your day. Mm-hmm. What happened to you? What what did how did it make you feel? Why did it make you feel that way? Mm-hmm. And it really teaches you how to make kind of a how to write a joke or or, or where where do these jokes should come right. from? Right. You know, like yeah. the truth in your life. There's there's like there's an amount of stand up comedy that you can teach, and there's an amount that you can never learn. That you just have to have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of no, course, yeah. Definitely. It's just like fighters are born, not made. Although you can teach people things, mm-hmm. but the instinctual things mm-hmm. come from a place that, like, you know, if you could put them on paper, I don't even know if you could read them. Yeah. Yeah. So you can teach me how to jab, you can teach me how to parry. Right. Right. But in a fight, I'm, I right. probably won't execute it very well. Yeah. Because you know, right people now, who have that innate thing, it's a non sequitur thing. It's not in a chronological order, per yeah. se. So it's really hard to quantify it, you know, tangibly on paper where somebody could follow it. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of people who have great talent sometimes are not the best teachers or educators. Because they really don't really they know. To learn it like a yeah. master. Right. And it's they like, don't know where it comes yeah. from. They just comes know how to do it. It's like, how can you ever teach how to perform like Robin Williams? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, there's, yeah. It's just like how you defend yeah. like Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. It's, well, it's one of the Bo Jackson. They tell you about football. You know right. what I mean? Like, right, right. It's, 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 it's just, it's just these things that like, there's, you know, it just, it's an innate ability to perform a certain task at the highest level. Right. And I do think there's a point of no fear. There's no fear of the consequence of it not being what other people expect as long as it feels right to you. Mm-hmm. And so people like a Robin Williams, like a Bo Jackson, those people under the most high pressure situations and they come through with the most magnificent performance. I don't think there's no fear of like, well, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's like, but I'm going to do it in such a manner that there's going to be an, uh, an effect. It's going to be stamped with something at this moment. And if it falls short, okay. But I think most people kind of put it in a very, um, in a very rigid People try to fit into a box. Yeah. And then there's someone a else do that comes A do-or-die manner. It's yeah. like, oh, if it doesn't work, I'm, it's done. And I think people like that who are great, they don't do that. Yeah, they're going to fuck your box. Yeah. This is how, this is how yeah, I'm this doing it. Yeah, this is just it. the way it is. If you don't like it, well, it's not for you. Yeah. But it's it's going to be how I do it. Right. And and that insensitive sensitivity like makes people just sit there and pay attention. Because it's like, I'm going to do this whether you're here or not. That's why I think Bill Burr is so captivating. Right. You know, I mean, he just gets up there and does his thing. Right. And if you like it, all right. If you don't like it, all right. Yeah. Cause and I, he's I, just so intelligent and that, yeah, that, like, he's he's sensitive but not sensitive about whether right. you like it or not. Right. And, and, and you have to care but not care because, you know, one of the great things about comedy is there are so many mouthpieces that are available to expound in every angle and every point about everything that we deal with in existence. And that's the beauty of it. And so it's like having 200 TV stations. There's something somewhere for somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you're willing to just entertain and go through the process as a person who's being engaged by this, then you get to a point to where like 
you weed out whatever you like or don't like, but you appreciate the wholeness, the full art of it, mm-hmm. and you respect people that get up and do it, regardless of what you think of them for your own personal you know, choice. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that stand-up is an art form, which I obviously completely agree with, but unfortunately, I feel that stand-up as an art form is the most underappreciated or oh, yeah. under un, undernoticed art form amongst the other art forms in terms of like painting, sing, you know, music, dance. I feel because you know if stand-up is truly an art form, which I I do believe, the amount of scrutiny that these artists, comedians, mm-hmm. are under for the things they say on stage while trying to create art mm-hmm. is extremely unfair. It's it's allowing these artists to not completely. Um, let go and I mean obviously there there are such things as tasteless jokes mm-hmm, but when you're mm-hmm. dealing with professionals like a Kevin Hart or Bill Burr mm-hmm. a Louis C.K. kind of thing I mean you know there are some kind of liberties that they should be able to take to perform the highest level to explore to explore yeah, an the, idea a joke right. see where it goes and if it doesn't work they pull it back but if if it does, all right. Well, there's a reason it works because it's funny. Because right. I, I mean, I think I think comedy, although it's very appreciated, isn't really like um, respected yeah. in a sense. Because I mean, if you think about it, there's no category for best comedic actor at the Oscars. There's no category for like you know fu- you know f- funniest uh, screenplay or something like that. You know? Yeah, I, I'm. Which, you know, again, having been around some. Some really fantastic people. I, I mean, sometimes coming from where I, I, I've come from, you know, growing up in the environment of knowing that the the present history not too long ago basically was saying that like, hey, you know what? You're not really worth participating in this thing, you know, on a level of where, you know, we need to like engage you, adore you, or even like, you know, recognize you. And then I've gotten to like study under people, like I said, like Sandy Shore and Mark Linnell and Taylor Negron. And and it was like, but why? Because I don't consider myself anything special or any particular like uh, entity that someone would go, oh yeah, you. And so to have these people confide in me and show me things that have been lifelong things, not just about the art itself, but about me as a person and how that fits into whatever I'm trying to do with the creative thing. And I um, realized, and I was told this by one of these particular mentors, that we are technically the philosophers of the day, just like back. In ancient times. Yeah. The thing about heckling, which was the most interesting point that was brought up to me, they go, Do you think at some point that when philosophers were speaking on the street, when prophets were speaking on the street, they weren't heckled? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they were. Yeah. Thrown rocks, thrown at sure. them, Hell yeah. beaten. So in the context of us passing the information about our existence in modern time to people in a humorous way, we are still subjected to that momentary, like with boxing in the moment response from those who are sitting there watching us. Mm-hmm. Because there, I was told that don't always be upset because someone is heckling you. 
that means you resonated with somebody. Yeah. It hit them and they couldn't control. It's like having the Holy Spirit in church. <laughs> yeah. You, you could be sitting there. They, they couldn't stop themselves. You can't from stop yourself. Yeah. And they go, so that's actually meaning that even if the joke itself or whatever it was, the context didn't go as planned, you said something in a manner that resonated with people. How many people actually get the opportunity to do that? How many people can actually do that? Because most people have the fear of getting up and, and talking to people. Yeah. And they and so I was it was pointed out to me like, don't worry about that. Don't let that be something where you go, oh man, this heckler is it's like if you were in ancient Rome and you're talking shit against Nero, guess what? Somebody's gonna come up with a couple of swords and knives and be like, yo, man, you yeah. need to shut that shit down. Yeah, right. And if you don't, you'll probably end up on the cross next to the chosen one, <laughs> like being hammered, like with nails in your hand. Yeah. So they go, it's a part of the privilege mm -hmm. to get the opportunity to expound and speak to people. So I've always kind of taken that and kept that in the back of my head when somebody was being belligerent or drunk or having it out with the waiter over the bill it was like you know what yeah yeah go ahead yeah go get do well, you it. know we're basically in an hour i, th I think that's a great place to stop too with, with the fact that you know we're all comics and i think sometimes we fail to mention that we're not just telling jokes but we, ha we have the opportunity mm -hmm. to reach people on mm -hmm. such a visceral and personal level yeah to where they have these involuntary responses whether it's shouting out because they disagree or laughing because they love it absolutely and i think we're all very lucky to uh to chase that it's a blessing hell yeah it's a blessing well before we get out of here let's uh, uh by the way awesome uh podcast oh no thank you guys the, for having the, the me boxing um, the comedian the comedy fucking loved it no this was this was awesome and i was looking forward to it um for those of you who don't know these guys put up with me i was on bpt time <laughs> um and black people out there look you know it's the holidays so shut that <laughs> shit down a little bit but uh, this was awesome, and and thank you guys, and also thank you guys for being a, a positive force in the gym, and passing that positivity on, you know, in the stage out there, and, and you know, wish you luck with your careers. Too. Absolutely, thank Absolutely. you. Anything to uh, plug before we go? Social media dates. Um, um, January twenty, January nineteenth. Um, um, Sycamore. Uh, Tavern. Tavern. Uh, we'll be doing a show with the crazy ass Mike Muratori. Um and social media as far as um, there will be some things that I'm working on in the new year which actually I want to talk to you guys about Hell yeah. like being a part of um, trying to pull some stuff together but um, happy holidays to everybody what, out there what's your Instagram tell the people uh, my Instagram is at uh, Dion the trainer and also Dungeon D Fitness, which um, there's humor and fitness in there. It's a lifestyle thing. Love it. Pat, what do you got? Um, always the same. You know, find me at Pat underscore Colicchio, C-O-L-I-C-C-H-I-O -C -C -I -I on Instagram. Pat Colicchio, one word on Twitter. No dates coming up in the holidays. Uh, but, you know, always thank you guys for tuning in. As usual, I am Vinny Falcone on Instagram. That's V-I-N-I-E. Not a Y because I'm not an animal. And um, <laughs> guys, do, uh, thanks so much for listening. Do us a favor if you're listening on any kind of uh, you know, iOS, Spotify. Give us a five-star review, thumbs up, whatever. Leave a comment. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like the podcast, we really appreciate it. Uh, and if you don't like the podcast, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Yep. <laughs>